0: It's Friday afternoon, we've turned off the phone and thereby guaranteed that no one will call us in the middle of an arrest for disorderly conduct, because it's time for another edition of our weekly podcast, Tales from the Brown Desk. I'm Jake Rigney of Rigney Law LLC, with me as usual is my law partner, wife, and zombie aficionado, Cassie Rigney.
1: Hello. (laughs) Ha
2: ha
0: ha. Our host is Terry. That was a very convincing laugh. Good job. Everyone is convinced that I am now hilarious. Excellent work. Um, thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, our host is Terry Ulm. Friendly reminder, Tales from the Brown Desk is a free-flowing conversation involving two foul-mouthed attorneys. It may include graphic descriptions of sexual activity, violence, and traffic law. It's almost certainly unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Here is Terry.
2: Hello, everyone. Hello, Jake and Cassie. Hello. Hello. So today we're going to talk about some things that are going on in Indianapolis and what the city is trying to do to resolve some issues that it sees. We're going to talk about some Indiana Court of Appeals opinions, encounters with the police, and how they go bad. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is Senate Bill 335. Which deals with panhandlers
0: <laughs> oh gosh,
2: is it currently against the law to panhandle?
0: Yes, yes, it is now, I have not read the panhandling statute in quite a while, so this is going to be real informative because i'm I'm way up to date on it, but uh, there are a lot of laws about panhandling, and um, they're occasionally found unconstitutional. It is illegal. Uh, I think to do it within twenty feet of like a bank um and they're I've read they're trying to make it even harder to pay and handle,
2: yeah, the Senate bill that's trying to be passed right now will extend the twenty feet to fifty feet and also include other places such as public monuments, businesses, public parking garages, and parking meters when I think about all the parking meters and downtown in the garages i'm not sure where the panhandlers would go to ask for help
0: uh yeah like so alleys basically like the crossroad of two alleys away from where anyone will ever walk yeah that's where they can still panhandle.
1: i would suggest institutions like uh, wheeler mission
0: right but even that's got you can't panhandle outside.
1: No, I meant that's what you do instead of panhandling is use the resources available to you.
2: Some people think that this bill would uh, further criminalize poverty. Do you agree with that stance or do you think that it'll benefit the panhandlers in the city?
0: <laughs> it certainly won't benefit the panhandlers in the city. Um, you know, it, does it criminalize panhandling not technically right or does it criminalize poverty not technically right um because it it doesn't say if you're poor you can't do this that or the other it basically just says you can't ask anyone for money in these places uh, and it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor of course rich people have no reason to go ask you for money so it disproportionately affects poverty you know, people who are poverty stricken uh there's no question about that. I suspect if you ask the legislators who wrote the bill, they'll tell you that. You know, well, of course, yeah, it's cuz all the poor people are asking for money. Cassie, what do you think? Should we should we make it harder on those folks or
1: uh I I mean, I would like to see, you know, institutions and resources and, you know, things to go to fixing the problem instead of uh pushing it under the rug, which is ultimately what I think it does. You have this, you know, whitewashed city um for all the nice white people to come and spend their money um, and ignore the fact that we have serious problems that we need to invest our resources in to fix because limiting their ability and moving them out of the way doesn't fix the problem.
0: Yeah, that that's a really good point. It actually brings up an issue that kind of drives me crazy about criminal law generally, right? And it, it's exactly what the legislature is trying to do here with this they have decided to try to make it the police's problem uh to fix something you know they've got this the situation and they're like okay here's what we'll do we'll get the police to fix it by making it illegal making it a c misdemeanor to do x y and z when the police are not in any way equipped to actually deal with this problem right there are Hundreds, if not maybe a thousand homeless dudes wandering around downtown on a given day, and there's like 12 cops, uh, especially during the day. Uh, If you don't count all the ones in the city county building protecting the judges and everyone else, right? The the people actually walking on the street making arrests, there's like 12 of them. They're never going to catch all the panhandlers and stop them from panhandling in the first place. Even if they could, all they would do is take them to the Marion County Jail. Where? There's no room to keep them. So what's going to happen? They're going to spend maybe 12 hours in jail getting processed, and then they're going to get kicked right back out onto the street, downtown, where the jail is, and what are they going to do? They're going to go right back to panhandling. The misdemeanor courts in Marion County are going to get clogged up with panhandling cases that they don't care about, and that the prosecutors don't care about prosecuting if they even bother to file them. The legislature wants to show, I don't know, Hyatt or Marriott or somebody, I don't know, that they care and that they're trying to make it better. So they pass this law to make this the police's problem when the police has no realistic opportunity to do anything about it. Because the only way you're going to stop panhandling is by helping people in their lives so they don't need to panhandle anymore. That's how you do it. You don't do it by locking them up. That's not going to stop them.
2: There were a couple of uh, entities that have voiced their support for this amendment, uh-huh. and that's the Indy Chamber, uh-huh. Visit Indy,
0: uh-huh.
2: Hilton, Indianapolis, downtown.
0: Uh-huh.
2: They feel the panhandlers um, negatively affect their profits and that their customers don't like to be bothered by being asked for money.
1: You were reminded that there are poor people? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they don't, yeah, you
0: get a whole army of Marie Antoinettes out there asking why they don't just eat cake,
2: so another thing that's going on um in Indianapolis is that there's been um an increase in homicides uh this year compared to last year, mm-hmm. and the city has been um actively trying to combat that. Uh, One of the things that Mayor Hogsett wants to do is he wants to increase policing in specific areas, Mm. like targeted policing. Um, What do you think about this?
0: So here's the thing about that. Uh, What's Mayor Hogsett's motivation for doing that? I don't know. You'd have to ask him. But when you increase the sort of targeted policing in a particular neighborhood, um, they usually increase their policing in neighborhoods that are overwhelmingly African-American. And that leads to a larger percentage of African-Americans get arrest, getting arrested for crimes. It's part of the systemic, what people call systemic racism. It's not that the police are actually going around thinking, ah, I want to arrest a bunch of black people today and no white people. But if you put all the police in African-American neighborhoods, mostly they're going to catch the African-American criminals and not the white criminals. And so unfortunately, uh, it creates this system where African-Americans get punished for their crimes at significantly higher rates. If that's what the mayor wants to do to fix it, it's only gonna exacerbate that problem um, Will it stop crimes? I don't, I mean, I don't think so. The reason I don't think so is because people are not more likely to commit murder if they think they're going to get away with it. People don't think about murder and getting caught when they do it. Usually it's a spur of the moment kind of situation. The number of murders that happen in Indianapolis that are planned and thought out where the guy's thinking about it for a day and he decides, okay, here's what I'm going to do and here's how I'm going to do it. That doesn't happen very often. Usually it's just like, uh, oh, crap, bang, 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 someone's dead. Um, They don't have time to think, oh, well, I wonder if there's a police patrol around. Shoot, they've been patrolling this area a lot more lately. Um, So you need to fix the other contributing factors that cause these problems. The, The police are, the police's job is to catch the guy who did it, not to prevent him.
2: Did
1: you have something to add, Cassie? No. I mean, I prosecuted on the interdiction side, which is for drugs, trying to get in front of crime, like intercepting things. But homicide is not being thought out. Um, So it's not the kind of crime that you can necessarily interdict before it happens, other than, um, you know, keeping people off drugs, you know, making sure people have employment opportunities, back to, you know, helping these communities. These problems get worse, the violence gets worse, you know, as economic and social economic problems get worse. They're corresponding. And I don't know when we're going to learn that a bigger stick isn't going to fix the problem.
2: Hopefully soon.
0: It's a very rational response. To a very irrational problem, um, and so that's why I'm kind of skeptical about it.
2: So next, we're going to talk about a Indiana Court of Appeals opinion. It is in a case of Davis versus the State of Indiana. His case is interesting because he went up on appeal to, because he was um, he was claiming that he was sentenced with double jeopardy. Can you explain t- to the listeners what double jeopardy is?
0: Yeah. So in Davis, um, because Davis is the drug dealer, right? Right. Yeah. Um, So I guess starting from the beginning, the uh, the double jeopardy clause in the U.S. Constitution uh, prohibits the government from convicting you twice for the same crime, essentially. Um, It's a it's a way to prevent the state from hacking the system. Right. Um, Because otherwise what they could do is they convict you of. pretend you murdered someone, for example. They convict you of reckless homicide. And then when you get out, they try you again and uh, convict you of uh, voluntary manslaughter. And then if you get out after that, uh, they just charge you with a new crime and convict you again for murder uh, and just keep sending you back for the same crime over and over again. Founders wanted to make sure that the state didn't try to do some dirty shit like that. So they put this in the Constitution so that you can't try someone twice for the same crime. Um, the other thing it prevents is it prevents the state from trying you again if you win the first trial, right? So if you go to trial and the jury finds you not guilty, without that, the state could just file the charges again, get a new jury, take another shot at it, try you over and over again until they uh, you know, until they get their conviction and get to send you to prison. Double Jeopardy Clause prevents you from doing that. Um, it's been interpreted in ways that apply well beyond what I just described um, and include sort of using the same evidence to convict you of two different crimes and then run those crimes consecutively or the sentences for those crimes consecutively. Um, I think in Davis's case, what they ended up deciding was that, um, cause Davis went on a long spree. He was a, based on the description in the court of appeals opinion, he was a mid-level drug dealer. Um, so he was selling methamphetamine and, um, and heroin, um, both in sort of street level transactions, but also in larger amounts. I mean, sometimes thousands of dollars of methamphetamine in a single transaction. Uh, and he got convicted of dealing heroin, dealing meth and conspiracy to deal at least one or both of those as well. And he's like, well, you can't convict me of conspiring to deal the thing that I also got convicted of dealing. And the court of appeals eventually was like, yeah, no, yeah, we can. (laughs) Um, you know, you were a drug dealer for a long time there, bro. Um, I mean, he went years selling, um, all these different illegal substances and selling them to the police and to undercover, uh, to, to civilians who didn't realize they were working for the police and all sorts of other things. Um, so, But the Court of Appeals did say that it was inappropriate to run his sentences for all those crimes consecutively because they have a rule, essentially, uh, when we're talking about dealing, where the police have essentially instigated the situation, they can't run those consecutive. The police can't just, like, go back and buy more heroin from you over and over and over and over again and get another 10 years tacked onto your sentence every time because they know you're doing it if they, you know, they should just arrest you after the first one and be done with it.
2: Because that's kind of what happened in Davis's case where he was enticed by police um, to make these controlled drug deals um, numerous times. How many times does a cop need to do that to arrest him? Like, what was the purpose (laughs) of doing it again and again and again and again? Well,
1: they can do it just once. I mean, it's to ensure... So to ensure conviction,
0: um, that's that's it. I mean, they could do it once, right? And sometimes I think they do that so that defense attorneys can't come in and argue later. Well, look, it was a one time thing. He just, you know, the the guy was like, "Can you get heroin?" And he was like, "Yes." And so he we went and got him some heroin. It didn't even mark it up. It was just like, you know, sometimes defense attorneys will try to minimize dealing by. You know, claiming it was just once and it was his first time ever and you caught him. Come on. Um, but, you know, obviously when they do a years long sting um, on a guy, you can't argue that.
2: <laughs> yeah. So one of the things um, that I noted was um, through the numerous controlled buys, um, the police used an under- undercover officer and unwitting informants. What happens to those informants? And how do they well, find
0: To be
1: them? honest, if they wanted to, they could charge them with dealing, yeah. straight dealing themselves. Absolutely. Dealing is only the transfer of possession from one person to another. Um, I actually knew a prosecutor who... A drug prosecutor who had it in his head that he wanted to charge everybody in a circle of individuals that were found smoking a joint with dealing marijuana. Technically, under the law, they could. And luckily, even within the narcotics prosecution division, the other prosecutors were inclined to tell him that that was, <laughs> that was being excessive. Um, but no, those people are, are, are dealing. Um, and they could have been charged and prosecuted to the same extent that, uh, Davis was, um, you don't have to get money. You don't have to, you know, get anything of value.
0: Yeah. I mean, all those unwitting, um, informants essentially took heroin and handed it to a police officer. That's all it takes to prove dealing. Um, people are, a lot of times they're confused. They think that you have to, you have to trade it for money, um, or, you know, you have to turn a profit on it. You know, like, well, if I just bought it for fifty and I give it to the guy and he gives me fifty, that's not dealing because I didn't make any money. Wrong. In fact, you can lose money on the deal. You could buy it for fifty and then sell it to somebody for thirty. Could you
2: give it away and be considered dealing? Yes.
1: Transfer of possession—that's all it takes. Give from me to you.
0: Yep. The legislature has made it really easy to prove dealing, so that they can make it easier for police officers to arrest people for dealing.
1: I guess I wanted to come back around to uh, why the police would have done such a long investigation when they only needed one. Another reason I suspect, um, and, and you can tell as the weights go up, is that they were probably trying to build a big enough case. One, you know, secure conviction, hopefully avoid trial, even if you can undo one or two of the deals, they've got five of them. And you know it doesn't do any good to convict him of more than one anyway, as far as stacking. But they were probably trying to get enough to go up the food chain because they ultimately they want a bigger and bigger fish. And at pro, you know, it would not surprise me if at some point they approached Davis and wanted him to then buy on their behalf as well. Um, particularly on the time frame that this that this case was over, that was a particularly long investigation. In my opinion,
0: yeah, they were, they ended up doing a couple of deals that were worth, I think, a few thousand dollars. And they found you know, five figures worth of money, I think, in Davis, in a car Davis was attached to. So overall, they took several thousand, you know, more than ten thousand, maybe even more than twenty thousand dollars from him. Those are the kind of levels that could get you charged federally. But they don't have to, and so it's entirely possible they were also trying to build a Fed case against him. Or, like Cassie said, they were trying to get enough so that they could scare him with a Fed case into making him work for them so that they could then get the bigger supplier, the upper middle management of the drug supply chain. Um, But Davis apparently uh, didn't want to go down like that, so he went to trial and lost.
2: I think this uh, Court of Appeals opinion mentioned that the police listened to a jail call. In the jail call, he said that he had some money stashed in a car. Um, is it common for police to listen to jail calls?
1: Kind of depends. Tippy canoe, yeah. Uh, when I was a prosecutor, I never did. That was something an intern, I'd have an intern do if I was interested in somebody. Um so I think it's prosecutor to prosecutor. There are other prosecutors in Marion County. They listen to all their jail calls. I hated them. They're terrible to listen to. Do um, they also
2: read their mail? Like, is is there any communication someone in prison can relay to another and it not go through someone else's ears or eyes?
0: Not definitely. Um, so you have to understand sort of how the system works especially with jail calls, but also with mail and everything else. Um, it is all subject to monitoring and recording. Um, and in the, in the situation of jail calls, they are all recorded. So it's all on a server somewhere, you know, being kept. but that doesn't mean anyone actually went and listened to it. They do not always live monitor your phone calls from jail. There are too many of them and there are too many people in jail and not enough people to listen to all of them, but they can go search them and they can search them through all sorts of different means by phone number called by inmate by, um, you know, a lot of other ways. Um, so if they think that something interesting is going to be in a call or is about to be, made in a call then they can go listen to them and, and that can be the basis for a search warrant it can add additional evidence to your case it can can cause all sorts of problems for a defendant if they don't heed the warning there's a warning at the beginning of every call
2: so another indiana court of appeals case that i wanted to get your opinions on is a case uh carter v. state This is another instance of a defendant um, claiming uh, double jeopardy where he was sentenced for a crime with the same evidence. Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me when I read this opinion was how swift the cops were to make the arrest after a hostile crowd gathered. Yeah. Is that a reason to arrest somebody if a crowd is gathering to...
1: I think it could be a lawful basis for the officers to relocate an investigation. Um, it sounds like they believed they had enough to do an arrest and just move on. Um,
0: yeah, and reading the case, the the officers did have, um, I think, probable cause to arrest um, at least, uh, was it Carter? Yeah, Carter. Yes. Um, they did have probable cause, at least, to arrest Carter for public intoxication. Um, they can arrest uh, a person if they have probable cause to believe they committed any crime in the police's presence. So um, when they, they approach a car and they find Carter sitting in a car in public, in, you know, in a public parking lot, um, and he's intoxicated and is in any way annoying, even to them, well, that's good enough um, for them to arrest him for that public intox. They ended up arresting everybody in the car because the driver had three guns on him, and they saw the the other two guys in the car like pushing things toward the driver. Um, side note: most people do not carry three handguns. You only have two hands.
1: <laughs> I think John Wick carries more than two handguns. <laughs>
0: that's true john wick but the dude sitting in the parking lot of an apartment complex in indianapolis does not have john wick's needs we are
1: not talking about john wick (laughs) right
0: he has neither john Wick's skills nor an entire city of bounty hunters looking for him uh, so they can collect an enormous bounty
1: you don't know carter
0: That's true. I don't know Carter. Maybe he's really John Wick, and that was the pro- But I, I'm positive that's not the case because Carter got caught. <laughs> John Wick would not have gone down like that. John Wick would still be floating around the city with his six handguns and his three knives and his machete. And
1: I think that'd be limping around the
2: city.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true.
2: So going back to the hostile crowd. yeah. When I read that, and I read it numerous times throughout the opinion, the picture that formed in my head was the crowd was hostile against the police. Yes. What would be reasons for that?
0: Well, the status of the relationship between people in certain neighborhoods and the police is um, uneasy, I guess, is probably a a fair way to describe it, Um and there have been several publicized um, instances of police kind of overreaching and the police also have a tendency to be very concerned for their safety Um, to a certain extent i understand that being a police officer especially a patrolman in the city is uh, not an easy job and it is dangerous and unfortunately sometimes some bad things happen to them so uh, they all generally have families and loved ones they want to go see every night. Uh, totally sympathetic to the idea that they need to be safe. Um, at the same time, the few bad apples that have caused serious problems in places all across the country have caused people in some places to be very wary of the police, to record them at every opportunity, to um, you know, voice their displeasure. Pretty regularly and sometimes in a way that causes officers to fear for their safety. Um, so it's, it's an unfortunate situation when that happens. I don't think that it really helps anyone when it does. It just got those guys arrested quicker. Um,
1: what it did do, though, they didn't finish the shooting investigation. So it was one for the neighborhood... zero for the cops i read that no they said they they picked up with their b misdemeanors and went on you know if they would have gotten shell casings and did ballistics and who knows
0: yeah i mean cassie has a point there The the officers were called there because of uh alleged shots fired run and um they never ended up being able to investigate who was shooting or what was going on because of that situation um and that's Cassie describes it as one for the neighborhood and zero for the cops. I, I, I wouldn't say it's a contest. Um, but that does sound a little bit like, you know, obstruction of justice via mob, um, which isn't any better than what the bad Apple police officers do. And in, in my opinion, but, um, if the police really wanted to chase down all that, situation they could have sent more than like the two officers who had to respond to that scene too um so sounds like it was an you know pretty unfortunate situation for everyone i'm glad no one got hurt
2: so it's not uncommon for the police to go undercover um and as a lay person i've always heard that if you ask someone if they're a cop and they are a cop they have to tell you and then you're clear. Is that, is that the case?
1: Absolutely not. Yeah. No, it
2: always makes me laugh. I'm just like, really? Do you really think it's that easy? Yeah.
1: Really?
0: That is, that is like the second most common misconception I get, um, answering phone calls and from people, um, is yeah, that if, if it's the, if they're the police and you ask, they have to tell you, uh, that's, it's just not true. Not true at all. They can lie about who they are. They can lie repeatedly. Um, and it's, it's a little silly, actually, that this myth sort of persists, because if you think about it, if it were true, it would lead to just categorically absurd results. Right. Um, so like if you imagine running a drug cartel um, and and the way you the, if that were true, the way you protect your drug cartel is just every time you're getting ready to talk to one of your associates, you just say you're not a cop, right? Like, you just start every conversation with, you're not a cop, right? And then go, okay, so what are we doing with the drugs today? Steve, you're not a cop, right? Okay, great. Oh, hey, Chad, I've known you for 10 years, but you're not a cop, right? Okay, great. And then go on with their drug dealing escapades. I mean, that's, it's, can you imagine how awful it would be to work in a drug dealing organization if you had to start every every interaction with another employee with, Chad, you're not a cop, right? Like, it would be terrible
2: it would be so um speaking of undercover cops um there was an indiana man recently in the news who fell victim to a undercover cop posing as a a child um online Mm. and this indiana man ended up walking he lived in whitestown he walked all the way up to michigan what what you mean like the state of Michigan and not like North Michigan Road? Um, actually, it's not Michigan. It's Wisconsin. The what? state of Wisconsin. <laughs> <Damn> <laughs> he walked 350 miles to have sex with the underage girl no, um, who was a police. He walked in, he hitchhiked. That was 350 oh, okay. miles. If he walked, it would have took him 120 hours to get there. Right.
0: That's like five days.
2: And he sent photos of him on the way. <laughs> <laughs> and informed the undercover cop of his progress as he was making his way up oh, to Wisconsin.
0: man that's so look I don't... here's the first thing I'm gonna say okay and I have no idea why having sex with underage people is attractive or interesting to a person. But I don't understand this even more. There is not a single human being in the entire world that I would walk for five straight days to have (laughs) sex with. And I don't mean like 42-year-old me. I mean like 18-year-old me who would do whatever with just about anyone still ain't walking to Wisconsin for sex. That's never happening. What on earth is going on?
1: You can't tell me he didn't pass an acceptable piece on the way. I mean, (laughs) like, come on. Well,
0: well, the piece has to reciprocate, Cassie. (laughs) But still, yikes. I mean, that's just... I I hope he... Well, I hope he got to take a rest before before he had to come back and go to jail. Because that's just...
1: Well, he got arrested in Wisconsin, right? It was a Wisconsin sting. Right. (laughs) And they enticed him. into. He walked all the way just to get arrested.
0: Can you imagine being the cop on that, by the way? You're like, okay, I got this guy coming. Wait, he's... Hold on. I thought he said he was going to be... He's walking.
1: <laughs> I'm sure they laughed the whole way every time, like, look, <laughs> keeping up with him, like, oh.
0: I mean, you can drive from Indianapolis to Wisconsin or to Milwaukee in, like, maybe five or six hours, I think. And so you think, like, they were like, okay, so he's leaving from Indiana. He said he's on his way. He'll be here in I don't know, six, six, six and a half, seven hours. We all got to get ready. Okay, here we go. We're ready. We're going to arrest this child molester. And then six hours later, they're like, where is he? And he texts back and he's like, I'm in Kokomo. I'm still on my (laughs) way. (laughs) And they're like, are you walking? And he's like, (laughs) yep.
2: Well, one of the things he did text to the undercover officer who is posing as a as a underage kid was that he would like to have 500 kids with her starting with one within the first year.
0: I don't – that guy obviously doesn't have any kids because 500 is too many to have.
1: Uh, well, I mean, you stop having sex after the first couple. I don't know what he thinks is going to happen. I don't think he has a good good idea of what uh, a family with that many children would in, entail.
0: Right. I mean, the dude doesn't even have a car. How is he going to afford 500 kids? <laughs> <laughs> he can't even rent a car. What – You do not. How are you going to feed 500 kids? What are you thinking?
2: So with his 500 kids, I wonder if he would do the same thing as a Florida man. Florida man fell for the same thing. He fell for an undercover officer who is posing as a a 14-year-old online. Yeah, that happens. Um, This Florida man left his three children at home who are four, five, and seven to go have sex with a 14-year-old.
0: That's not cool. Not I okay wonder
2: if Indiana man would leave his 500 kids at home.
0: <laughs> well, if he it, would walk.
1: Makes me wonder if that guy has a misunderstanding of how it works. Like, Maybe was he trying to say he wanted to have sex with her 500 times and he thinks every act results in a child?
0: Yeah, I don't know. It does remind me of that song, though, from the 90s. You remember that song? I would walk 500, 500 miles and I would walk 500 more. Oh, jeez, Indiana man.
1: Florida man left your kids. Ugh.
0: Yeah, that's not cool, Florida man. You can do better than that. I have faith in you.
2: Well, there's another Florida man who uh, got pulled over in a traffic stop and used his baby as a shield.
0: Were the police shooting, or was it just in case?
2: It was just in case. (laughs) Um, Just in case. You'll
0: never take me alive, coppers.
2: Yeah, he used his baby as a shield, and they had to have a special uh, team come in and rescue the child. (laughs)
1: Well, and you know, usually you follow up these stories and then he has like a a driving while suspended warrant or something stupid. They tell you what the traffic stop was for or what what the underlying like before he uh, used his baby as a human shield. Was there another crime of equal or greater seriousness? That he had committed before that?
2: Well, it says the police pulled him over on the interstate due to concerns regarding a child custody Baker Act issue.
1: Oh. Oh, okay. So kidnapping. So they think, I mean, he it was probably just short of a, what, Amber Alert yep. kind of thing. So that's what it was was but what a great way to say there's a uh there is in fact concern for the safety of this child
0: i can't wait for the custody hearing later (laughs) between mom and dad over who should have custody of this child between florida man and florida woman it's gonna be great because i'm sure she's got uh she's probably doing awesome too but florida man is like you know well i mean yeah i i I took i took the kid and yeah i I, I tried to use it as a human shield, but uh but no, give me custody anyway, I swear. And by the way, a police a special police squad had to be dispatched to rescue the kid. Do you think they they have a special police squad for every type of scenario, including like this one? Like there's five cops just sitting around, like well, got to wait till the next time somebody tries to use a baby as a human shield. And then we got to jump in the van and head that way. <laughs> Get ready, guys. Always on alert.
2: I think that would be a pretty boring job.
0: <laughs> Except when it isn't, right?
2: Right. <laughs> right. So um, a Florida police department got some headlines this week. Not only Florida man, but the, a police department did. Um, they posted a, a post on Facebook. That says, with the rising health concerns associated with coronavirus, we are offering free testing of your drugs. Mm-hmm. Being that a large amount of narcotics come from outside of the U.S., we want you to be safe. Bring it to our station and we will test the batch within minutes.
0: Yeah, they. this is uh, not a novel trick um, that the police use sometimes. And I never know if they're serious or if they just think it's funny, but then some guy or someone always falls for it and takes their drugs to the police station to have them tested. And then they get arrested for possessing drugs. It's, um, but yeah, they're not the first police department to do that um, on Facebook uh, and sort of say like, hey, come get your drugs tested. Make sure they're real drugs.
2: So there's one other uh, news headline that I'd like to share with you before we wrap up. Uh, It's not a Florida man or an Indiana man, but a Maryland man. He was arrested after stabbing a woman with a syringe full of semen.
0: Mm. Man, we are going really gross this week.
2: Where did he stab her? In her butt. How did he get like in a her butt? cheek? yeah, and then when she turned around and confronted him, he said it felt like a bee sting, didn't it? And apparently, this isn't the only person that he has stabbed with a syringe full of semen.
0: How how does one obtain a syringe full of semen? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I I would assume I would hope it's his own or not. I don't. I, you don't want it to be anybody's, but I would. I mean, yeah.
0: Side note: We do not choose the topics of this conversation. <laughs> Terry chooses the topics. So in case somebody wants to accuse us of a hostile work environment later, Terry chose these articles, <laughs> not Jake and Cassie. We're not making her talk about syringes full of semen. Her choice gross real gross
2: did he say why he didn't say why he did, he he didn't say why i'm going to go
0: with dumb he's yeah, dumb, dumb.
2: <laughs> but could like what kind of charges can be brought against someone like this would this be oh. a sexual assault because semen injection was involved or is it just
0: no that's a good question though in so in indiana what immediately comes to mind is battery by bodily waste um, so, battery by bodily waste is a felony. Uh, I am certain that semen qualifies as bodily waste, especially after you do whatever it takes to get it into a syringe. <sighs> and um, but stabbing somebody with a syringe in a sort of non-consensual, uncontrolled way is also probably battery with a deadly weapon in Indiana. Because I mean, yeah, people don't realize this, but you can get stabbed in the leg and die. Like you have arteries and veins in your in your torso and in your groin area and in your legs, where you get it nicked, you're gonna bleed out before the hospital. You ever get to the hospital, Um, because you have you know a lot of blood pumping through uh, those large arteries deep in your legs and in your groin area. So doing that to somebody like that i mean there's a a chance you could kill them that's that's what it takes to call a syringe a deadly weapon um in indiana anything can be a deadly weapon it just depends on how you use it um obviously a knife and a gun can be a deadly weapon but a television can be a deadly weapon um a, a hammer can be it also might not be it depends on what you're trying to do with it Um, And a syringe can be, depending on what you're trying to do with it. Stabbing somebody with it, that might get it done.
2: So when you say bodily waste, does that um, extend beyond humans? Because there was, Florida man also (laughs) got himself arrested for throwing cow manure on another (laughs) this week.
0: Florida man will not stop. Well, Um, first, I don't know what
1: the Florida laws are.
2: So, if that happened here in Indiana, is it okay to throw cow manure on another?
1: It is certainly not okay. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I do not know if the battery by bodily waste is limited to human body or mammal body, um, but it is certainly a crime. The way you cut it, whether that's the one that it is, I'm not exactly right. sure.
0: Let me check my moral philosophical books from college for a minute to see if throwing poop at somebody is amoral or not. Mm, Yes. Yes, it is. That's not okay. (laughs) Uh, We at Rigney Law do not condone the use of throwing cow manure at people. Uh, But yeah, is that? I don't know either. I don't know if throwing non-human waste is... Battery by bodily way. It's definitely battery, so it's, you know, an A or a B misdemeanor. Um, I can't think of anything much more rude than than throwing cow poop at someone.
2: We actually put it in a bucket and then dump the bucket on someone, so it's more... Than just throwing, like, a handful. I okay.
1: always think of them as, like, the pies that would be on my grandpa's farm, you know, like frisbee
2: throw
0: it like at someone's (laughs) neck or
1: something well
0: the the velocity at which it hits you is does not matter
1: (laughs) well i mean i'd rather be hit with a dry one than it sounds like the fluid that was collected (laughs) (laughs) before they dry up it's pretty soupy i yeah
0: florida man is just really really gross this week he I, he needs some classes or something that's not appropriate bro
2: he does that kind of wraps up our uh, tales from the brown desk this week
0: oh you hear that cassie they're playing our music okay time for me to go to the bank additional legal disclaimer while we may discuss legal issues and provide information regarding the law to our listeners we do not intend to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener Our advice may not be applicable or appropriate to your legal issue. Please consult with an attorney you have hired to review your legal situation before you attempt to apply anything we said today. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Brown Desk. If you need help with a criminal law issue, please contact Rigney Law at 317-430-7370. If you have a question for the attorneys you'd like to be addressed on the air on our next podcast, please email us at terry, that's T-E-R-I, at RigneyLawindi.com and title your email podcast question. The attorneys in this podcast do not comment on their current pending cases. None of this discussion is a comment on a current case or strategy, even if your name is Chad or Steve.